Welcome to Growing Up Beverly Hills. I'm Stacy, And I'm David. We grew up together in Beverly Hills in the 1980s. Forget what you've seen in the movies or TV shows. We have the real stories about real people growing up in Beverly Hills. Here's a little known fact for you. There aren't any talking chihuahuas. <laughs> Beverly Hills folk drop a lot of names of people and places. We just can't help it. Don't worry, we'll explain it all at the end of the interview in the Beverly Hills Breakdown. Enjoy, subscribe, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Stacy, come in, Stacy. Hello, David. We had my old friend Ross Mark on. It was so fun with Ross. I went to elementary school with him, and we both went to high school with him. Sure did. His life changed quite a bit when his mother remarried. His stepfather, Bud Friedman, owned the Improv, a great place for comedy. Oh, yeah. And this exposed Ross to comedy and show business at a very young age, and he made his own career from it. You'll hear him tell great stories about his childhood, comics, and his many jobs, including being a producer on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. It was so much fun talking to Ross. He was dropping comedian after comedian's name. I got to tell you, David, it was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to listening to this episode. Well, let's listen. Let's do it. Hello, Ross Mark, or may I say, Ross the Boss. Welcome to Growing Up Beverly Hills. Thanks for having me, Stacy. David Pass, nice to see you too. Nice to see you. Great to have you on. Yeah, I'm excited to come on. I'm, uh, I, I, I enjoy doing like a memory lane type thing. It's going to be fun. Well, today is your day. It's memory lane down Beverly Hills. So how did your family make their way to Beverly Hills? So... My dad was in the shoe business for years, and um, my mom and dad actually were living in New York, and my dad was transferred to, um, I guess it's West Hollywood. Uh, he worked for Mitsubishi. It was a, sh- it was a shoe company. Mm-hmm. He was transferred to L.A., and they decided to move to Beverly Hills. They, we got an apartment in, on Elmont when I was born. I was, I was actually born at Cedars-Sinai, not where it is now, but when it was on Sunset. Yeah, Iced. and we actually uh, lived there for for first couple years, and then from there we moved to two hundred six Spalding. Isn't it crazy? I remember like <laughs> the numbers. <laughs> you probably remember your phone number from that house too. Five five three nine five one three two one three area code. Don't call that. And then so we moved to to a it was a duplex, and it was on the two hundred block of Spalding, like two blocks south of Wilshire, right near Nibblers. And, uh, oh, yes. and right near David Pass. That's right where I lived. Yep. I used to go to your house and play um, and play video games. I can never beat you. And so uh, <laughs> it was really good. And I own the thing. You were you were unbelievable. So, so we lived there. That was a great experience. We we had a horrible um, the guy who owned the building was was a really nasty guy. But but we lived in this great duplex and it was a great location. Yeah. I lived there till I was like I would say eight years old. And then we moved to 456 Spalding, which is south of Olympic, into a house that overlooked Roxbury Park. I remember going to that house. And yeah, and that was, that was you know, my parents bought a house. And I remember back then it cost like, God, it was like $240,000. And it was wow. a huge lot. I mean, we had a huge backyard. And we lived there until my parents got divorced, until I was, you know, until I was like 10 years old. At that house, you could look right down on the park. That house, we looked down in the park, and we were kids, and we used to, we had an orange tree, we had a kumquat tree, and we used to throw kumquats and oranges at the <laughs> at the local ice cream guy, Johnny. Oh, yeah. Who, I mean, who all the Beverly Hills people know, he's like this little short guy who's probably in his 60s, maybe even 70s, that had this ice cream truck. And he was like, he was like a character out of a movie. I mean, you know, it was like he had, he walked, he was like this heavy set guy, short, walking with a limp. And we used to just nail his truck from my place. And, <laughs> and, and like, I remember one time the cops came to my house and they knocked on the door and they asked my mom, my dad was out of town. They said, are you doing, is anybody at your house doing kumquats or oranges at the ice cream truck? And my mom said, no, absolutely not. My kids are all good. I had a brother, Dax, who was five years younger. And, and we were kind of troublemakers back then. And, uh, but I mean, we just nailed his truck every time he just parked it right in front of our house. Like that. it was like a big hill. I could have killed somebody more. I think about it today. <laughs> um, but I mean, it was, it was good times. He seemed to both hate children and was obsessed with anybody touching the freezer. He was, 
a very strange man. <laughs> I mean, he really did not like kids. We'd, we'd go down and get ice cream from him. It was like the worst experience you ever had in your life. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but everybody was like the only – the thing is he had a monopoly on the ice cream market in Beverly Hills. Yeah, he was the guy. So basically he would drive around and he uh, – he everybody knew him. Like Johnny, Johnny the ice cream guy. I mean, you guys both know him. Stacey, you live – you exactly. know, you, you lived east of east of us, of David and I, and, and you even knew who the guy was. I knew Johnny, too. Yeah, which is unbelievable. I, I I didn't know he got that far east, but I guess he went to La Cienega Park, too, probably. He got around. I mean, I'm sure David and I spent many of our um, allowance money at his truck. <laughs> and a lot of time at Roxbury Park. Yeah, that was that was a great park. I played Little League there. When did you start Little League playing it there? I played Little League there when I was eight years old and um, had a Again, had a great experience. Played my my brother actually played little league with Jacob Dylan. Oh yeah, and I used to watch my brother play and Bob Dylan. Like he would go to every every game of Jacobs. And I remember I was friends with Jesse Dylan, who David and I went to school with. Yep, went to Elder Day with. And I used to go to Jesse's house after school, and we actually we, we listened to like the Ramones and you know Deep Purple and Black Sabbath. So Black Sabbath, yep. his dad, I didn't know who Bob Dylan was back then. I right. had no idea. I mean, you know, I, I was into like heavy metal. I, I no, mean, you're a kid. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I wasn't like one of these Bob Dylan people. When we were, Dave and I were growing up, especially at Elroy there were a lot of like famous kids of of celebrities that we grew, that we grew up with that like Marvin Gaye's son was, was went to Elroy Day with David and I. And Parrot Night at Elroy Dale, David was like, it was a lot of like who's who in Hollywood, you know, it was a lot of like producers and moguls. And it was like, it's was, it was pretty crazy. I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty like, if you look back on it, it was like, because no, nobody really went to private schools back then. Everybody that lived in Beverly yeah. Hills went to public schools. schools, you know. Well, most people lived in Beverly Hills just for the public schools. Yeah. I mean, I know back then, I know a lot of like, especially a lot of people moved there, a lot of Persians, especially with would move there because they knew the school school system was really good. And, sure. um, and I, I, I remember how much, um, it was like, it, it was like every, all these Persian guys who I saw so I was friends with, they all had the same address. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Beverly Hills phenomenon where if you lived outside the district, you could pretend that you lived inside the district and still go to one of the schools. You know, going to El Rodeo, we'll talk about elementary school first. I mean, it was it was it was such a great experience back then. I mean, it, it was safe. You know, I remember I used to ride my bike to school. Yeah, we'd walk or ride our bikes. I would walk. I would, I would walk with you a lot. And, you know, we would, we would have our own little gang that lived like, you know, all the poor kids that lived south of Wilshire. We all walked together. <laughs> and, and I remember, I remember we, we used to walk through the Beverly Hilton Hotel like half the way because it was like half our walk was through the hotel and we would stop at the little uh, drugstore they had there and get candy i remember and yeah they had a lunch counter too and i would get french fries there after school yep and then we went to nibblers although sometimes we'll stop at nibblers and, and get french fries or something if i had some money on me mm-hmm. our parents didn't they weren't worried about us getting to school there's no like you know be safe i mean no. I, no. you know we used to you know, we, it was like, it was like probably a 15 minute walk. It was, it was, it was easy. It was, you know, there was no, uh, I remember when we walked through that hotel, Merv Griffin was, was all over the place too. Remember? I mean, I remember yeah. he owned that yeah. place, which we had no idea who he was, you know, no. and we used to see, you know, there were, I remember we saw, you know, Kirk Douglas. I mean, we would see a lot of celebrities walking through that hotel all the time. That was like the, one of the big places to stay. And all these kids from Elwood, they used to like, walk through the hotel all the time i think yeah that was just like our shortcut to school and it was like a block long with businesses on the first floor and part of you know part of the hotel i remember they had travel agencies yep the travel agencies and and i remember merv griffin's office was right beyond that because i actually had a meeting there later in life with rodney who rodney dangerfield was living in that hotel at the time and and, uh, and i actually met with rodney there in the bar area, he was wearing a, he was wearing like a, it was like a, he just got out of the shower. So he had like a, <laughs> he, he had a robe on and no underwear. And I mean, I'm not going to swear, but his testicles were hanging out 
of the chair during the meeting and I was just trying to look up the whole time. I just remember, oh my like, God. You know, there's, it, that was your me too moment. Buddy <laughs> <laughs> used to come to our house for Thanksgiving, him, Bill Maher, Richard Belzer, Adam Sandler. They all used to, because my, what happened was when I was 13, my mom remarried and she remarried Bud Friedman of the improvs. Right. And so all of a sudden I was in the comedy business and, uh, and we used to go to the improv like every weekend I was there, like, because my you know, my parents had to be there. So, you know, I would, you know, my brother and I would go and we're like these young little punks, we would, you know, watch everybody from Robin Williams to George Carlin to, you know, we were very quick in this comedy business. And, and How incredible. We all have in common that we're children of divorce. Yeah. we're all, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that wasn't very uncommon in Beverly Hills. It was no. probably more uncommon to stay married at that time. No, I think a lot of my a lot of my friends were, like you said, had parents that were divorced. And from when my parents got divorced, we sold the house on Spalding. Then we moved to the 400 block of Bedford, which is south of mm. Olympic. I, I lived there until um, I think I was like a freshman in high school, and my mom married Bud, and we rented a house. One block north of Rexford, 137 Rexford, I remember the address. Um, it was like this small little house, and we built this basketball court in the back. And there was a yoga college, like two blocks, like two doors down. There was yoga college, like on Wilshire oh. and Rexford. We said we were the yoga college's uh, basketball team. So <laughs> it was like a college. So we were the – so we got Bud, – Bud made jerseys up, and it was like me and my friend Rick Houghton, who went to Beverly – uh, he lived right nearby. We used to play basketball all the time. And my other friend who passed away, Mustafa Afifi, who passed away a few a few years ago. Um, oh. um, mm-hmm. And also another friend of mine who came with me to visit Mustafa because he had cancer. We went to visit him. Jeff Schreiber. He actually oh. he passed away this year ah. um, from cancer, actually. Which oh, is sad, which I, which Jeff went to Beverly. His dad was a coach at yeah. Beverly. I don't want to bring down the moment here, but it's it was just... Uh, yeah, it's it's just, it's just sad when you hear some of your classmates who you graduated oh. with are, are no longer with us. Very sad. So your mom gets remarried, and your stepfather had kids. What was it like moving into a blended family, and how did you guys get along? It sounds like you liked your stepfather right away. Yeah, but was you know my dad wasn't really really around. He was working all the time, and you know he kind of um, you know we barely my brother and I didn't really see him that much. I mean we didn't have a bad relationship. He just was in the Orient working in, in New York. So, so Bud was a great stepdad, but his, his daughters lived with their mom in New York. So the only oh. time, the only time we saw Zoe and Beth were like in the summer for like four to five weeks out of the year. Oh. We didn't, they weren't really there that much uh, compared, you know, they didn't live with us, they lived with their mom, but they came and visit. We, you know, we did see them at times. But it, it was it was great. We went on family vacations all the time. We went on trips. Nice. So you still felt close to his daughters. Yeah, Zoe lives in Venice, California, and uh, Beth lives up north in Santa Cruz. And uh, with the pandemic, you know, we haven't really seen them that much. Right. We're trying to keep the spacing and stuff, and I, I haven't really been around my mom. I've seen my mom and Bud once in a while, just, but you know, Bud had a stroke, so. He's um, not a hundred percent, and my mom, you know, she's in her early eighties, so I, I'm really cautious. I, you know, yeah, sure. I was at Bedford for years. Bedford sounds like it was a lot of fun. We actually uh, had a great time. I mean, it was it was it was very safe, and we used to go to that little pharmacy on Roxbury and Olympic. Yeah, I remember I used to go all the time and Roxbury drugs. Roxbury drugs. I used to go there and buy baseball cards all the time, and. And they they knew me as the guy that came in and always bought baseball cards. So they would always <laughs> tell me when they got when they got more boxes in and stuff. Were you a big baseball collect- oh, card huge. collector? Yeah, huge. I I collect. Are you still? I, I I'm not as big as I used to. I still have all my cards. And I'm, actually during the pandemic, I decided to do something. I decided to get them graded, which means oh I, wow, I take them to a place called PSA, and they grade them for you. And they charge you, of course. But the better the better grade they are, the more they're worth. And I, you know, right. I think, and I just was curious what the grades were. So I'm getting a lot of them back right now, and and they're worth a lot. I mean, I have oh, like, wow. I have cards that are worth. Are you retiring? I, I'm a guy. I'm like a miser. I would never sell anything. <laughs> I don't sell anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't sell anything I've ever had. But I, I have some. I have some really 
cool stuff. I remember, quick story, I went to a baseball card convention with, with Larry Lesser. I don't know if you know Larry. Sure. He, he lived on Spalding. And Jay Furman, we used to go to these baseball card conventions down at the airport. And mm-hmm. it was like our moms used to drive us. And, and I remember I bought this baseball card for $25. And for, for back then, it was a lot of money. We never spent it. must have been a lot of money. So it was a rookie Pete Rose. And it was in perfect condition. I still have it. And uh, the card was for $25. And my parents were, I can't believe you spent that much on that card. Da, da, da. I mean, now the card is worth like $12,000. Wow. Know? I mean, so it's like, nice. you know, they have no idea what, you know, again, I wasn't collecting to make money. I just enjoyed baseball. For the love. But, yeah. Right. But now it's like recently a rookie Michael Jordan card just sold for $150,000. So it's. Holy cow. So the market for baseball cards, I know we got on this subject, but it's, it's skyrocketed. I mean, it, it, I mean, memorabilia for sports is, is huge. And, uh, yeah. and it's, it's, you know, but I, I was really into baseball cards. Definitely. And you still are. And that's how we got there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not as much as I used to. I, I don't, I, but I, I do enjoy it and it's great. You know, we used to have our own little clique of guys who collected baseball cards, and and um, you know, we, we had a we had a great time doing that. Um, and we, we used to trade and have meetings, and I think you know, we get <laughs> people from different like school districts. We used to have like meetings with. It was it was fun. It was a, it was a great it was a great, great connection. And then we lived on Rexford, as I told you, and I lived there during high school, and we uh, started high school. And uh, I, I remember uh, taking the bus to Beverly. I used to take the bus up at oh, Rexford. Wow. I'm too lazy to ride my bike. I didn't have a car. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I, I didn't have a car. Either. I didn't know anybody who took the bus. I took the bus to, and got off on Spalding and used to walk over to the high school. Um, you took the public bus? The public bus. It, it was, I love it. I mean, back then it was, I think it was a quarter. And yeah. And sometimes we used to uh, walk home. And there was a great pizza place we used to go to. Every Sunday night, I used to I used to go there with friends. It was called Brooklyn Brooklyn's Famous Pizza on, on Wilshire. But if you think about it, it was probably our most delicious pizzas. It was oh, our childhood pizza. Really, I remember how great that pizza was. Yeah. I think it would hold up today if we could still eat it. Yeah, yes. and I remember when I was a kid, my parents used to take me to, when I say parents, I either mean my dad, my usually, usually it's Bud, so when I say my parents, I'm, I'm referring to Bud, we used to go to, we used to go to the Hamburger Hamlet on Sunset, of course. and every Sunday night, we'd see Dean Martin, and he would be there with a martini in his glass, and I didn't know who he was, he, just, right. he was just a town drunk, <laughs> and uh, he would be there drinking, and everybody would know him. And then we would also go to a place on Western Boulevard called Mateo's. Yeah, and sure. The, and Mateo's. That's a fancy place. It was fancy. I mean, you didn't have to wear a suit, but it was like a upscale. You got to wear a nice shirt and you look nice. So uh, I was sitting there with my parents. All of a sudden, Frank Sinatra walks in. Oh. Everybody gets up and claps. And <laughs> I, I, I'm a kid. I have no idea who Frank. I got up and clapped. And, and then Frank, Frank came over to all the tables and shook everybody's hands like he was running for president. <laughs> and I have no idea who he was, but I, I got to meet Frank Sinatra, which is great. And then uh, the second one is Ronald Reagan came in. Oh wow! I think he was president because he ate in the back room. No one, no one, but he, they saw him come in. Everybody got up and clapped. Secret Service was all over the place, and um, and that was kind of cool too. But I never been to a restaurant when people kind of that's a weird phenomenon yeah that's weird i haven't been to a restaurant either where everyone's clapping i had something like that happen to me once i was at one of the star wars films and it was during a laker playoff run and kareem was in the audience and everybody (laughs) stood up and applauded kareem because he had just had like a great game the night before was it the apco in west that's exactly where it was that's where i saw star wars also when i was a kid um the apco was in Westwood was where everybody, I think everybody, we all went there as the kids and waited in line to see Star Wars. And I saw Animal yeah. House. I saw Animal House there also. I remember my mom took me there to see Animal House when I was a kid too in 1970, was it 79 or 80? And um, that was, you know, I was a little too young to see it, but I still enjoyed it. Of course. Of course. Bud really shaped your life from a young age because it got you into the comedy. and Yeah. And then as a kid, I actually got to uh, work at the improv. I was a doorman. I ran I ran the comedy rooms on certain nights too. Um, growing up, I, I was there during the '84 Olympics. I would uh, wow. I worked the improv, and it was like it was like just during the comedy boom. So when my mom first married Bud, the improv was doing okay. It wasn't doing like that great. The improv started in New York, and then when the Johnny Carson show moved out to L.A. No, no. What happened was uh, nothing to do with Johnny Carson. What happened was Bud 
and his wife got divorced. She got the club in L.A. in New York. That was she, but just gave it to oh. him and said, "Here, this club's making a million dollars a year. This is your divorce settlement." Bud moved to L.A. and he opened the club in L.A. and it obviously it did not do well the first few years. They barely had two nickels. I mean, they, wow. you know, Bud was like living with my mom, at, you know, in this apartment, you know, and then they rented the house, and then all of a sudden, boom, the comedy boom hit. Yeah, the improv. Had franchises in Vegas, Tahoe, um, San Diego, Tempe, and everything else. And what year was that? I was going to say, is that the eighties? I would say it's 80, 84, 85, 86, 87. And, you know, that's in the mid eighties. That's when it blew mm-hmm. up. And being a stand-up comic became like the biggest thing you could be. Back then, the quality of talent it was like this is an average Saturday night. It was like Richard Lewis, Jay Leno, Robin Williams, Robert Klein. You know, George Carlin, I mean, it was like a who's who in comedy. And, you know, they all came to the improv to work on new jokes. And wow. it was it was a it was a fun time to be around comedy back then. Did they all have to kiss your ass because you were the boss's son? Yeah. No, they, they were all. No, we were all. There's no. Uh, I mean, I remember some of the com. Bud would have the comics come over and like when they went on cruises or trips and my brother and I were like basically home alone, they would have the comics either stay, one of the comics would stay at our house and just to make sure we don't burn the place down. <laughs> but I mean, no, I mean, we had a, we had a pretty good relationship with all the comedians. I mean, during Thanksgiving, I mean, Bud was very generous. I mean, mm. if somebody didn't have any place to go, Bud would invite like people over, like Adam Sandler oh. came over and, and Ronnie Dangerfield came over a bunch of times and he would get stoned with all the, with all the helpers and stuff. He would, you know, and, That's awesome. and he also like, he got so stoned that he, he, uh, he set the centerpiece on fire because <laughs> there was candles and he like moved it over and it caught the centerpiece. And my mom went crazy. Your mom must have loved that. Oh yeah, one. but you know it was, it was like Ronnie. It was like when Ronnie was just blowing up too. Like Caddyshack came out, and all his other movies were just about to hit, and he uh, he was just about to be like this huge movie star. And so you know, for me, I loved it. And Adam Sandler yeah. came over too, and that's that's like right right before he got SNL. Like he, he was wow he was over the house and stuff, and and we got, you know, I hung out with him throughout my whole life. That must have been a cool time for you, like to know these people as people. I still do. I mean, I in high school, David. I mean, and Stacy, you went to Beverly too. I mean, I, I mean, I was, I played, I played football, and I, I. Yeah. So, what sports did you play in high school? So I, I played football. I played baseball until I was a sophomore, and then I, I threw the shot put for track and field, and I was pretty oh. good at that. And I was like co-captain of the track team and stuff because of shot football. I, I was playing, I played varsity as a sophomore. I had, a, you know, I still talk to my coaches. I still talk to a lot of the guys I played with. You were a big guy for high school. What did you play on the offensive line or the defensive line? I played linebacker and I played offensive line. I was like, I was like, I was like, it was a nap big. I was like 200 or 190, 200. That was big for our high school. We had a bunch of little yeah, guys. Yeah, it was big for high school. And we were, you know, my junior year, we were pretty good. We went to like the playoffs, and and we, we had a really good season. We had a bunch of guys. On, we had like three guys on our team that ended up playing in the NFL, which is pretty good. That is good. And I'm still friendly with um, Rick Cunningham, who was a year behind us. He was in '85, but he played like 12 years in NFL and played in the CFL. Oh. And, and, oh. and, and Rick actually lives in um, Arizona. I, I, I see him like once or twice a year. I didn't know we had anybody who went to the NFL from our high school. Oh yeah, and then Jeff James, who went, who was an eighty, who was an eighty-three. He played for the Lions and went to Stanford. But I mean, no, we we, we had you know, the, the, as you guys know, the, the Jocks kind of hung out together more than anything. Yeah, yeah. And of course, in high school, uh, my locker was right next to Lenny Kravitz's. Oh, you lucky you! So Lenny and I became friendly. I used to see him, all, you know, I I used to see him like three times a day, and he knew my right. name, I knew his name, I knew his mom was was on on the Jeffersons, which was my right. favorite shows. And yeah. um, years later, I was um, at the Tonight Show, and we're filming in Vegas, and he was the musical act. I, I didn't do the music; I did comedy, and I worked with celebrities. I produced their segments, and uh, but I didn't do anything with music. But Lenny saw me in the hallway, and he yelled, "Ross, Ross!" I'm like, "How do you?" I said, how do you remember my name? I haven't seen you since 1983 or 84, you know, and he was like, of course I remember you. So we hung out, we went out that night. And then a few years later, I was working at Sirius XM and I was at the Super Bowl and he was there. He was the musical artist performing at the Super Bowl. So he did all this press and he had radio role. 
So another moment is I saw him again, and he's like, knew my name. He was asking me about CJ. He was asking me about Jeff James. He was asking me about all the football guys I knew. But, I mean, he he loves, like, anything to do with, like, high school days. He, like – Oh, well, that's good because we want him on the show. Yeah. I mean, he loves talking about it. We're ready to listen. He remembers students. I mean, you know, he he was bussed in. He he didn't live in Beverly Hills. He lived in – um, I forgot where he lived, but he 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 lived outside the district. And back then, that was another phenomenon on the football team that a lot of kids were bussed in to play. Right. Yeah, and they don't they don't do that. That's why the football team's so bad now. And they and you know well, they don't do it anymore. Ross? They haven't done it in like ten years or eight years. They they stopped bussing kids in. They they totally stopped. So mm-hmm. the only way you can go to Beverly Hills High is if is if you live in the district. They totally they don't they don't allow any exceptions i think if you're a teacher and you're and your kid your kid can go there if you're a teacher and right but they stop busing so the sports program at beverly especially in the past few years has gone downhill so much lenny was into music even back then i remember him playing at some school events yeah his band romeo blue i think i remember sitting on the front lawn with him yeah i mean he was the nicest guy and, and then slash soul slash and oh, yeah, Roses, slash. i was friendly with he went to beverly yeah and uh, I used to call him Soul. It wasn't Slash. A nice Jewish boy. And, uh, he was a nice Jewish guy. I think his mom was an actress. She was in, uh, I think, I think she was in Trading Places or something. And uh, I, I knew, I knew Slash. I, I seen him many times after after graduation, and you know, talk and see him around. I live in Tarzana. I don't think I said where I live now. I live in Tarzana. I see him around the valley all the time. Unless, oh, wow. I, I think he lives in Calabasas or lives in probably somewhere, somewhere nearby. But I used to see him and. You know, and David Schwimmer was in our class. I, I used to see him at, you know, we used to book him sure. on the Tonight Show. And I mean, there were so many, growing up in Beverly Hills, there were so many celebrities that that we grew up with that really weren't celebrities when we grew up with them. But after right. Beverly, they, they stayed in show business and they became huge. I mean, it was... You having a career in talent, did you recognize the talent in some of these kids when they... Not really. I mean, I remember I went to see... Uh, I went to see Johnny Silverman in Oklahoma, you know, and because I was friendly with Johnny and Elwardale, we went to Elwardale with Johnny. We love Johnny. He looks the same. I wanted to, I'm going to kill him because he hasn't aged at all. Well, he's him. a lot taller. He's taller. And he remember he's like a little shrimpy kid. Well, and- he was my height. He was five feet tall. And, and when we were all freshmen, because I, I was the same exact height. And then the next year, whatever, he's six one. He's six one. And, <laughs> and he's like. And, and the baby I, face. And I was there when, when he, when he got his break, he was doing a, musical at Beverly and somebody saw him and he was offered Brighton, Brighton beach, beach memoirs. memoirs. Yeah. He yeah. offered that and it changed his life. I mean, you know, he, yeah. yeah. Well, Neil Simon really took him under his wing and did a lot of things yeah. with him. I remember he left Beverly to go to New York to do that show or, or to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I see, I, I seen John, I mean, I see these people and the crazy thing is it's, it's like a little click. I mean, it never goes away. It's something that we all have in common. We all graduated from Beverly Hills High School, and it's it's an elite club, and, yeah. and it's something that we all have in common. It's a bond, you know. And, it is. And that's why I'm here now is to talk about it. But I mean, when I went to Beverly, I had a 1976 Monte Carlo that I bought with money. You know, my parents didn't buy me a car, and I parked right between a, a Mercedes and a Mercedes on one side, a BMW on the other side. I used to pull my car in there. Right, and I, I remember the news was at the school one time because they were interviewing kids because they were charging how much? I want to say like three hundred dollars to park. Oh, I remember something was really expensive. It was to like three hundred dollars. Yeah, park. and in the parking lot, right in that back parking lot. I called to the principal's office because on 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 camera, I said these are the most two expensive wines you can buy for three hundred dollars, like it's a cocaine reference. <laughs> And, the, and I remember the principal, Sol Levine, called me in his office and said, I saw you on the news. And just don't do that again, basically. <laughs> don't do that again. You can't make the school look bad. you got to remember. Yeah. You know, you represent That's the great. School. Did you ever think while in school about being a comic yourself? I, when I went to college, so I graduated from Beverly and I went to Arizona State University. I opened up the Tempe Improv. I, I was like the owner, the guy... You know, I, I was going to school there. I told Bud it'd be a great place to open a comedy club. I know it was that location, so I, I, I helped 
find a location. I trained the staff, everything else. And I was like in college and I used to run audition night at the Santa Monica Improv. When I, wow. after I graduated, after I graduated college, I ran, I was in charge of all the talent at the improv. I used to book all the clubs. Yeah. To go back to college, you know, I was, I discovered Dave, David Spade went to Arizona State. He was, him and I were, oh, yeah. I kind of helped him get his. Oh, you, you found him? I kind of did. I, I helped him get his like manager, that. his manager who actually went to Beverly Hills football games was, was Bernie Brillstein. And Bernie, oh, yeah. And Bernie died many years ago, but I, when I first got out of college, I had a meeting with Bernie because I didn't know quite sure what I should do in show business. And I met with him and it's like, he's like the biggest comedy manager ever. He's like, you know, he's like a, he's like, the, he's Legend. like it. And uh, yeah. so he used to tell me, he used to go to the Beverly football games and he used to like watch me play. He like knew who I was because of the Beverly wow. football games. <laughs> he was just a random fan of Beverly Hills high school football. He lived, he lived in Beverly Hills. And he yeah. loved he loved high school sports and he loved watching football live. His uh, his daughter Lee is actually she was I, she went to Beverly when we did. I don't know what grade she was, but mm-hmm. Lee Brillstein, she's a she's a big agent at ICM. I, I think that's why he went to the games because his daughter went there. Right, um, uh-huh. but that's not a good enough. Makes experience. a little more sense. <laughs> makes a little bit more sense, but he actually like you know he went to all the games and he was like you know how about that game when you beat so and so? I'm like I I barely remembered this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it was like it was amazing, and I don't even remember. But they used to like televise the games on that on that cable channel. Yeah, remember? yeah. And they used to yeah. have, and they used to used to always have our own radio station on that same cable station. Too. Yeah. Well, Beverly High had its own station, KBEV, and I think they aired the games on that. Did they? Yeah. So yeah, but people used to like watch the games in the Beverly Hills district. Like it was amazing how many people watched the games. Well, you probably had to sign a lot of autographs. Oh, yeah, a lot of tons of autographs. <laughs> but uh, so basically, when I graduated from Beverly, and um, got the, I mean, as I remember, um, I went to Arizona State, opened the comedy club, and then I graduated from Arizona State. And I first thing I did was I, I did a TV show called World's Fastest Athlete, and I sold it to oh. M- I sold it to NBC. Excuse me, I sold it to ABC. And it was my it was myself and a friend from high school and college that we had the idea. And it was the three fastest in football, three fastest in baseball, three fastest in track. And we hired an executive producer. We didn't know what we were doing. And we basically produced the show. And we did it for two years for ABC. And it was, it was in Hawaii. It was great. We actually wow. sold the show. I remember that show. Yeah, we sold it. Were you like 22 years 22, old? 22, 23. No idea what I was doing. And then, and you were in Hawaii doing this? That, that was the show. It was in LA, but we filmed it in Hawaii. Okay. What a great start to your career. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's how I, so I did that. And then I produced golf tournaments. I did Milton Burles. I did Michael Jordan's golf tournament for two years. Oh, wow. Uh, for the NAACP. And then I did Milton Burles golf tournament for his wife. Ruth, who died from cancer for the American Cancer Society. I produced that. Executive producer wow. founded it. And so for three months straight, I was at the Friars Club with Milton and hanging out with Red Buttons. Oh, my God. How fun. Don Rickles. I mean, it was like a who's who in comedy that was there. Friars Club, I guess, wasn't technically in Beverly Hills, but it was almost attached to the high school. Yeah, Little Santa Monica. Near Jimmy's. Remember Jimmy's, that restaurant Jimmy's? yeah. We all never went to because our parents yeah. went there and we all never, you know, we know what you, we all heard about it. We never, I never been. Exactly. There. I never went either. Yeah. I don't know if it was Beverly Hills or not. I know. That's a great question, but it's not there anymore. They, they, they right. demolished it. It was the about a stone's throw from the high school. And that was a place for old comedians to hang out really. Yeah. And they try to revitalize it and they try to make it younger. But I was there with Milton for three months and a quick Milton story, which I love to tell is Milton's known to be very um, well endowed. Oh. I mean, it's a big, you know, and I, I didn't know. I was like a kid. I had no idea about it. It's a legendary thing. Yeah, around. I mean, he slept with Lucille Ball. He slept with Marilyn Monroe. He slept with like, so one time we got up to go to the bathroom and so we're in the bathroom together. And he's like a, for me, he was like a grandfather. Like I, yeah. I, I used to t- drive him to gigs. I used to hang out with him. I, you know, it's like, he really took me under his wing. And when he passed away, I remember it was just, I was, I was a, you know, it was really a, a hard moment. But uh, so we went to the bathroom together and he said, do you want to have a contest? I said, I said well, what kind of what contest? I'm like, <laughs> I have no idea what he's talking about. You know, we'll have a contest. So was, whoever, whoever has whoever has the biggest thing wins. 
<laughs> I said, well, okay, okay. I said, I say, and, he, and he said, I'll just take enough out to win. That That's his line. <laughs> so he, he, pulls, I did, he pulls out this thing that looks like a golf club. I mean, if I was – I mean uh, – any woman would run for the hills if they saw this thing. I mean, it, yeah. it was like, it looked like something from a movie, like a sci-fi movie. Oh, my God. So it's, you know, and like, of course, I was just like, I said, you win. <laughs> it's walked out. <laughs> Ross, but, you have a long history of comedians uh, exposing themselves. I know. I know. It's crazy. I know. There's no Me Too back then, so I could have made some money back now. You make Louis C.K. seem like a normal comedian. I know. I love Louis, too. So I, I did the charity stuff. I sold... Michael Jordan show also the NBC, which I made money on. And then I decided, you know what? I After working in Milton, I wanted to get into the comedy business. So I, I worked at the Improv, and I, I knew all the comics, so I, I booked all the rooms for the Improv. I booked even at the Improv, which is the TV show, and I booked all the rooms. We had rooms in Santa Monica. We had a room in Melrose. We had a room in Vegas, Tahoe. We had a, you know, we, we had a room in San Diego. We had a room in Reno, I think, even back then. But uh, So I booked all these rooms. I was really involved in comedy. I was doing all this other stuff. And then all of a sudden I decided to get into management, comedy management. So I okay. I went to this comedy man I went to this management company. I was managing comedians. I even produced a couple movies, which weren't that big. And then I got into another management company where I where I owned with I was partners with somebody and we had, you know, we had some pretty big we had some pretty big comedians that did pretty well. And all of a sudden the Tonight Show called me. And they say, hey, we're looking for somebody to book the comics. Do you know anybody? Okay. You know, I'm thinking about like, you know, I suggested some people and I said, you know what? I'm getting sick of being a babysitter. I want to start doing other things. So they said, okay, well, it's only, you can keep your management company, but you can, you can do this on the side. So I went in, I met with the executive producer, I didn't know. And she, of course, she hired me. And you already knew Jay Leno. I knew Jay. And when Jay was like, oh, I love Ross. You know, we're, you know, it's hire so I, I did that. And then when I was part-time at the Tonight Show, there was a show called Last Comic Standing. Right. That was just starting up. And Peter Engel, who actually um, was the producer of from, from Saved by the Bell and all those kids' morning shows, he had this show idea called with Jay Moore called Last Comic Standing. So they hired me to be the talent scout slash judge to go on the road and look at all the comics. So I was gone for like weeks at a time in different cities and not available for the Tonight Show. And the Tonight Show called me, she's, and they said, um, well, we need you here. And I said, well, I said, I'm getting paid a lot of money to do the show. And uh, and they basically said, we'll make you a full-time producer. So I worked at the Tonight Show as a producer. I got to work with everybody from Tom Cruise to to Magic Johnson to wow. Seth Rogen. I mean, you, you name an actor I worked with them and produced their segment. So I, I produced it tonight for 15 years. It was a great run. So producing a segment, you do the pre-interview and you kind of figure out what they're going to talk about with Jay? So what we, yeah, I did the pre-interview. I talked to the talent, let's say the day before. The, I like to do it a couple days before. I'll type up the segment. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have lunch with Jay in the, in the conference room. You order in. And then I'll go, over the, I'll go over it with Jay, like the questions and give him some background so he doesn't look bad. Because Jay's, as much as I love Jay, he was great doing the monologue, but he, was, he wasn't good doing interviews. Oh. He wasn't the best. So we had, to, we had to really prep him, which is fine. I mean, you know, Jay did such a great job with the monologue and everything else. You know, he doesn't, you know. He, he got by. He got by. So I'm not feeling bad for that guy. I think he made <laughs> so, some money. For sure. So I, I got to work with unbelievable talent. I had a great boss with Debbie Vickers. Unbelievable executive producer. The best. I still talk to her. Lives in Palm Springs. She's doing great. So we, we were number one for 15 years. Jay retires. I go to Chelsea, Chelsea lately. Ooh, ooh. Yay. I work with Chelsea Handler, who I put on the Tonight Show. First time I've ever That's one of Stacey's favorites. Oh, you like Chelsea? I love her. I want to work with her in her weed business. Oh, that's hilarious. And used to, <laughs> I used to go to her house all the time and parties. And I went to Cabo with her. And Chelsea's great. She seems the coolest. She's fun. Little, um, a little crazy, and she had a breakdown when Trump became president. But now Trump's not yeah, president. Yeah, who, who did okay it? Now. She's okay now. Everything's good. Good. See, she's just like Stacy. <laughs> I'm a lot like her. Yeah. I think, well, or or I wish. <laughs> Chelsea, yeah, she's a handful. Uh, she's a, she's something. I'm not that far out. I, I did that, and then uh, after after Chelsea lately ended, I I did some other shows. I did like Carson Daly's New Year's Eve show. I 
And from there, I um, did some shows, and then I was vice president of Sirius XM for the West Coast for a couple of years. And wow, I didn't really like doing radio that much. I kind of missed TV, so I went back to TV, and I produced Hollywood Medium for E. I, I, right now, oh. right now, I'm doing a show called uh, Running Wild with Bear Grylls. I did Brain Games for Nat Geo. I, I also started an app company, which I sold to Google a few years ago, um, called the I Am App. Um, which which did pretty well. Um, so I, I kind of like to do like have you guys noticed that as the trend is. I think you do a lot. I, I like <laughs> I like to experience life and like to do different things. Yeah, it's a big variety, and it sounds like you've had a success with all of them. Yeah, very much. Is there one of these jobs that stands out as the most fun? Yeah, the Tonight Show. I mean, that was 15 years. I was in my prime. We were number one. I was working. I mean, literally. I mean, if we, if, if if somebody won the World Series the next day, I would have the World Series star on my show. Amazing. And I, I, and I would get to work with them. You know, I mean, I I would I would work with everybody in show business. I mean, everybody wanted to do our show. I mean, the numbers now a late night. It's like for the first time ever, the Tonight Show had less than a million viewers a couple of weeks ago, mm. and. Just broadcast TV is just every year it's going down and down and down. And that's why you see like HBO Max and you see Netflix and you see Hulu. All these companies are getting bigger and bigger and their stock is getting bigger and bigger too. And, uh, and broadcast TV is getting smaller and smaller. It really is. You know, my, my kids, they don't watch broadcast TV. They watch stuff on YouTube or they watch stuff on Netflix or whatever. And it's just, um, it's a different time now. It really is. It really is. You know, I think Jay got out and Letterman got out at the perfect time. I mean, when I was working for The Tonight Show, Jay and Dave hated each other. It was like a- They did? Script. Oh, yeah. Sure. I mean, they won't admit it. I mean, they, they won't admit it. He won't, they won't admit it. I mean, right. they won't say, hey, but I hate you, you know. Hate you. But, but the word hate's bad, but they dislike. But they- uh, Back then, there was actually a rivalry. You know, it was actually fun. We actually were going after the same guest. Like Denzel Washington has a movie coming out. Who's going to get him first? Because our rule right. was, our rule was, you have to do our show first. We won't go second to Letterman. So mm-hmm. because of ratings, because if you just was on Letterman and then Denzel comes on our show, well, I got to work with Denzel came on our show, less people would watch. So what's the point of having them on your show second? So Ross, would you actually pass on a guest if they wouldn't get to you guys first? We would just say we'll get it next time. I mean, okay. I was there when we had a, the first standing president to ever do a talk show came on. It was President Obama came on the Tonight Show. And it was a huge, I mean, he came on when he was running for president. And I got, yeah. he signed a baseball for me, actually. Wow. And I actually hung out with him. I taught college basketball. Really quick story. President Obama was on 60 Minutes, and they did a whole story about him. This guy from Illinois, Oprah Winfrey's behind him. And I saw him in 60 Minutes, and I told our producer, I, I, you know, we pitched new ideas. That was my idea. I said, we should book this, this politician from, from Illinois. He's making a lot of headwaves. Oprah's giving him all this money. I said, we should have him on. And my executive said, okay, you know, well, go book him, and we'll have him on. So I got to work with him. And so he came to the Tonight Show wearing a polo shirt, jeans. He was just running for president. There's no heat on him. No one knew who he was. I had him sign a baseball. I always had guests sign baseballs for me. That's so cool. He loved Duke. So we talked about college basketball for like a half hour. Did the show. It was great. great. Came back a second time when he was running for president, like for real. And he was like in the race and like, and like he came with yep. suit. He wore a suit. He had like a little entourage. Wasn't that bad. You know, he, he, he was great to work with. The last time he worked, came to the Tonight Show. He was president. Secret Service came and interviewed me. Dolphs came to my Dolphs came to my office and sniffed around. And wow. basically, um, he actually it was really hard to talk to him. I, I couldn't barely get to him, but he uh, remembered my name. And uh, it was actually a, that's probably my fondest moment of the Tonight Show is when when the president was on. That's incredible. And I love that you met him early on. How incredible yeah. to have met him three times. You were such a good talent, Scott. You picked the next president. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, and you know, and you don't you, you I, I don't think you over you oversee I don't think you oversee a president do a late night talk show ever again, uh, like that. President Obama. Probably not. It, it was a great moment though, especially uh for our show. Our ratings were, were huge that night. I'm sure. That rivalry with uh, Letterman created a buzz and some excitement to the whole job. Yeah, I mean, you guys were bystanders. I mean, did you feel that there was a rivalry between the two, two shows back then in the in the 
in the early 2000s or yeah i think it was it was in the media a lot that there was kind of a buzz about that and now all the shows are friendly the the two jimmy's are good friends and colbert's friends with their you know there's no rivalry anymore what was the rivalry between the improv and the comedy store especially since we're all from beverly hills and we grew up with the shores too it was it wasn't it wasn't pretty i mean i used to see peter and paulie at school and we we glare at each other and give us dirty looks, you know, and I used to wear improv shirts. For our audience, Peter and Polly Shore were the sons of Mitzi Shore, who owned the comedy store. Peter was in our grade. He was in 84, and Polly, I think, yep. was in 85 or 86. We had a lot of friends in common, but we, we used to glare at each other. You know, was, the rivalry was was bad. I mean, it was it was a real rivalry. So it was real. It was, it was a real rivalry, and um, we did not like each other. But years later, I became friendly with Polly and we text each other all the time and he's, he's, yeah. he's doing great. He's, I, I like Polly. Actually, Peter, I think moved to Portland, I believe. Right. And, yeah. um, and he's doing well too. And their mom just died a couple of years ago. So more Bud and Mitzi weren't friends and there was a rival between the companies. Oh no, they, they, they used to fight about everything. I mean, com- they used to fight about comedians. Same kind of thing as the tonight show, right? She would ban comics if they did the improv. Yeah, she but Bud didn't care as much. Bud didn't really care if he if he played both clubs. He didn't really for him, as long as you played his club, he was fine with it. But Mitzi would tell comics if you play the improv, you're not gonna be able to play here. Wow. So was that a hard choice for the comics to actually make that choice? Oh yeah. If if you're a if you're a comic and you just moved to LA and you wanna get the exposure and be seen, because at these clubs you don't make big money. You're there to be seen. So do casting directors and producers like come and frequent places like the Comedy Store or the Improv and would they find talent that way or does everyone work through agents? You know, Stacey, that's a great question. So back when I was at the Improv, yes. I mean, there was no internet. There was no YouTube. There was no way to be seen unless you were performing live. Right. Now with the magic of, you know, websites YouTube, social media. I mean, comics now, if you guys notice, they don't do late night TV that much. No. They'd rather do a set for YouTube and put it on their YouTube channel. Gotcha. And get a million views, make money that way, and get more subscribers. Yeah. And that way they can um, make more money on their social media. Yeah, that's changed everything. Really changed. Comics became a lot, lot lazier now when it comes to like doing sets for television. You don't see, you don't see comics doing sets anymore on tv when when we were growing up especially in the 80s when johnny carson was on the air you would see like comics go on i mean i would stay up late to watch like drew carey bill maher ronnie danger right these comics doing stand-up it was great i mean these guys were doing edgy stuff and you know we're all kids we think all think this is great yeah and now you don't you don't see that anymore you know you, you, you not at comics, all um preparing to do sets for late night TV anymore. It's, it's a whole, it's a whole different, it's a whole different feel now. And do they still want to play the clubs? They do. They do to make money. I mean, they, a comic like Kevin Hart, if he's doing a new, a new tour and I'm friendly with Kevin too, if he's doing a new tour, he'll go to the clubs to work on his new set. Yes. Right. You know, the new comics like performing at, at comedy clubs, of course, but I think the comics that do the road and are somewhat popular, I mean, for them, there has to be a reason to play the Cubs. You guys don't play it to play it anymore. For being a new comic these days, do you still have to hit the road and go to all those scrappy places all across the country and all that stuff that I've heard stories about? The only way to become a comic and be good is if you play those games. I mean, if you play, gotcha. LA's the worst audience in the world. If I was doing, if, if, I tell comics all the time, if you're doing a comedy special, don't do it in Los Angeles. People in LA are, um, I can say this because I'm, I'm from Los Angeles and you guys are too. People from LA are very jaded. They've seen everything. It's True. hard to get them to laugh. I just feel that um, now it's just um, better. You have to go on the road if you're a stand-up comic. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, you, you, you have to play every every hell gig to start with until people start paying money to see you. And you can start uh-huh. playing clubs like in, you know, the, the Dallas Improv or you can play the, you know, you play the Cleveland right. Improv. And, and unless they start pay, paying to see you in those in those large clubs like that, 
then you have to you have to go on the road. And- so Ross, who are a few of your favorite comedians of all time that you really like? Maybe three or four that you really just admire and like and find really funny. Um, so that, that's a great question. So um, some of the, my favorite comedians growing up, and especially now, I mean, I always loved Louis C.K. I uh, when I got the job at the Tonight Show, the second comedian I booked was Louis C.K. And he shows up to the Tonight Show. And I was, you know, no, no, no one knew who he was. And he yeah. told me like straight on, I was like so nervous too, because in my first comic was Dane Cook. He was my second. And, you know, I, I was auditioning for the job basically. And right. he says, Ross, um, I don't know if I'm the right guy to do this show. I mean, you know, because the reputation of the Tonight Show was really milk toast comedians. And, you know, they wanted comics that weren't that edgy. And, and my, and my thing was, you know, I want comics that are doing really well that you want they're going to be stars someday, you know? Right. So, I mean, so, so Louis, Louis CK was always my favorite. Jay Leno was always my favorite comedians, Robin Williams. I got to hang out with him a lot when, um, when I was growing up, he used to come in the improv, I used to see him in Lake Tahoe when he performed at, at Harris there. And that was, that was always great. George Carlin was always somebody that I would have to see. I mean, I remember my all time favorite was, he used to come to the improv once in a while when he was in town, it was Eddie Murphy. I was just going to say, how about Eddie Murphy? <laughs> Eddie was like, I don't remember that tour he did um, when he when he wore the black leather jacket and everything and he did this. Yeah. Thing. And he did, he did this tour and it was huge. And he was, it was just so dirty, but it was, it was, it was, it was so good though. But I mean, there were so many funny comedians and I mean, I mean, there was, I mean, I used to manage a lot of them like Kathleen Madigan. I managed, she was one of the funniest, just, so that's not one of the funniest females, but one of the funniest um, com- comics. She's great. Yeah. And the first person I ever produced on The Tonight Show, I actually went to her house in Brentwood. And I was a big fan. I never met her, but I always loved her was Phyllis Diller. And, oh, and I wow. got to go to Phyllis's house and she showed me around. I was, I know, it was my first producing, uh, working on The Tonight Show. And they, they said, okay, well, we want you to produce Phyllis Diller. Why don't you go to her house, have lunch? And talk to her about what you guys want to do on the show. And uh, I just spent like the whole day there. And like, you know, she, uh, she, it was just great stories. It was like a a comedy legend going back in history, you know, telling me stuff that no one else could ever tell me. And it was just, it was, it was unbelievable. And I love it. You know, working with people like that, the Milton Burrow, I mean, working with the comics that actually have a story um, and have like, some type of like iconic to them. Yeah. It's another Beverly Hills story. I got to work with Carl Reiner. And oh, Carl wow. Reiner lived mm. on seven. I love how I remember all these addresses. He lived, he died recently, he died last year, 95 years old. He lived on 714 North Rodale and he lived there since 1963. And, and he bought his house for $160,000. And he actually, his wife, died like when he was living there and he still lived there the house has not when he when i went over there and saw him all the time same furniture same wallpaper same same everything oh, wow he didn't do anything to the house except the, the kitchen was all new okay good i went over there i had pictures of it and watched jeopardy and wheel of fortune with him and mel brooks that's great i would bring nate nails over nate, <laughs> nate nails is another restaurant that's iconic yep and carl was so sharp and such a great guy to hang out with. But he also did something which he doesn't talk about, which he told me, which I can tell now because he passed. He His next door neighbor was his doctor and he was he couldn't practice anymore and he was going to lose his house. And he was been his neighbor since the 60s. And the guy was sick. He had cancer. And and he was he told Carl, I have to, I have to move. I, I can't afford to live here anymore. I can't practice. And Carl said, I'll buy your house. You, you live there rent-free. Or as much as you want to pay me, I don't care. So Carl bought the house. The guy lived for another like a year. What a great man! That's so nice. Like those little stories like that that you hear. Yeah. You know, Carl is you know he he another guy that's an iconic comedian. Oh yeah. Such a great great soul that people do this kind of stuff. You really don't hear those little small stories like that. You always hear the bad stuff. Exactly. Know, so, Ross, what have you been up to now? I know you're doing a, a fantasy uh, 
MFSN, the Fantasy Sports Network. Tell us about that. During the pandemic, I got bored. I wasn't going to my office anymore. I wanted to do something different. And I was, I'm still producing a couple of shows, but out of my house. So I had a lot of time on my hands. So I decided to start this MFSN Fantasy Sports Network. I always loved fantasy sports. Um, fantasy football, fantasy baseball, fantasy basketball, fantasy hockey. You name, it, you name any sport, I love, I love playing fantasy with it. So I started this network with, um, with, a few, with a couple of other guys. One guy is a producer of The Real, and he does all the graphics, and he does all the technical stuff for me. And then I have this other guy that lives in Cleveland named Dr. Dan Ratner, and he actually is a real therapist. And um, he uh, he um, he actually like loves fantasy, but he also does his therapy show on on our network. Okay. So basically, the network I interview celebrities. We talk about sports. Like for example, we had Kevin Nealon on. Kevin Nealon on, and Kevin moved to L.A., which I didn't know about. We talked, you know, moved to L.A. not to become a stand-up comic, but to try out as a field goal kicker for the L.A. Express when it was the USFL team. That's wild. I had no idea at all. I didn't either. Yeah, and he, he wanted to be a kicker, so he came to L.A. So Kevin actually was a bartender at the Improv, um, and then he got into stand-up. I'm sorry, I, know, I knew Kevin for years. But, right. but, he, uh, but so we, I talked to celebrities. I had talked to – I interviewed a lot of athletes. Uh, today I'm talking to David Koechner, who's a big Kansas City Chiefs fan. David was um, in those Anchorman movies. He was the sports guy. Yeah. He was also – I don't know if you ever watched The Office – He's top packer, top packer. Sure. So, so I'm interviewing David. He's a big Kansas City guy. So we're talking about the Super Bowl. But I have, I love talking to celebrities about sports. But we also talk about fantasy sports. We do, we do shows that are just about fantasy sports. I mean, we, as as we play fantasy sports. It's a, it's a must show. You got to watch. We tell you what players to pick up. We tell you what to do in the draft. We, we give you all the advice you need. Is on M- MFSN. It's on YouTube. It's on Apple Podcasts. And um, it actually looks like a real broadcast show. I mean, it, it's all HD. It does. I was very impressed. We actually just teamed up with the Briggs Network, uh, which is John Brankus's network. John Brankus did a, sport, a show called Sports Science, but he started this new network, which all our shows are going to be on. And uh, it's going to be like, it hasn't quite launched, but we're doing a big Super Bowl week this week. But I'm, yeah. I'm very excited about it. But I'm also, you know, I'm still producing... Uh, Running wild with bear grills for Nat Geo. I'm, you know, I'm also I'm also producing other stuff. Um, so the fantasy show is more of a fun project for you that'll probably take off and see where it goes. If it takes off, I would love to quit and just do that full time. It'd be it'd be fun to. It seems like sports is your real passion. Sports, is my real passion. I, I love playing my. I do a character called Ross the Boss, <laughs> which I'm not doing now, obviously. But I play I, I, I play this obnoxious sports guy. That loves to that loves to like get in fights and controversy and and be a, a, like I know it all. I know if you ever watch ESPN, but they have, they have shows on there where people are these yeah. sports experts, and the louder they raise their voices, the more the more they sound like they know what they're talking about, but they really don't. So so I play this character called <laughs> Lost the Boss, and I uh, I have fun with it. One thing that I thought I would discover through our natural conversation today was why you're a Cincinnati fan. And that did not come up. And there's no reason for you to be a Cincinnati fan of any team. So as a kid, this is good. It's not Beverly Hills, but I'll talk about it. My dad was born and raised in Cincinnati. Ah, that's the connection. Because my parents were doors. My dad used to send my brother and I to Cincinnati to live with my uncle and aunt for the summer. So we used to, like, every ah. year, I was never around Beverly Hills in the summer when I was, when I was like, under 12 years old. I was always um, in Cincinnati. And so we would spend our summers in Saturday going to Reds games. And, you know, we were there like every year. And that's great. I had a similar thing. I was shipped off to Minnesota to see my dad. And so I became a Vikings fan. I remember that. I remember you liked the Vikings. Well, I stayed in L.A. and I always liked the Rams. Yeah, see, David and I had to go away because of <laughs> uh, we, we We always had to go away during the summer. We were never around. Um, <laughs> that was tough to go away for the summer, wasn't it? I enjoyed it just because um, I, I, I like, you know, I, we, I used to go to tennis camp and my aunt had a house with a pool and tennis court and, uh, and, I, and I was one of the oldest and, you know, it's just in Cincinnati it was the Midwest. So you can kind of do anything you want. And we had no curfew. Ross, are you still involved in the improv today? 
My stepdad sold the club three years ago, which is a perfect time because the clubs right now, it's all sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Good timing. It's perfect timing. And so my stepdad sold it because his health's not that great. And he couldn't really be, you know, couldn't really um, manage it or be part, be part of it. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm happy he sold it for my mom's sake. So is that all the different clubs and all the rights to the TV shows and all that? Does that go with it? It's all the name, the trademark, everything's gone except our memories. Um, you know, I think, but I think, Bud has a, but Bud's on the board of directors or something, but, and they give him a, some type of salary, but whatever, but, Bud's not really, but Bud's, Bud's retired. You know, he, he's, um, yeah. you know, he wrote a book that did pretty well, but the, the old improv days, David and Stacy is a thing of the past. It sure is. I, I mean, you guys weren't around it, but the improv was a place where the bar would be like who's who in Hollywood. Like everybody. Oh, it must have been amazing. It was just a different time. I mean, back then, everybody used to hang out and everybody would pop in and do a set. And you really don't have, you don't see that anymore. It's just. Um, no, not at all. Not at all. Well, Ross, it was so good to see you and have you on our show. You too. And when, and when this whole thing's over, let, let's get together and do something. Or You can bring me Nate Nels and we'll watch Jeopardy together. <laughs> Carl's not alive. <laughs> but I'll do it with you. Oh, you'll do it with me. Uh, you got to be great. Well, Ross, we had so much fun talking to you today. I learned so much as I do on a lot of our episodes. So we heard so many great stories about you growing up in Beverly Hills. And it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Stacy and David, it's been a pleasure. Great, great to go down memory lane. I, I hope we can talk again. It was a great experience. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Really great. Talk to you soon. Bye. 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 It's time for the breakdown. Hey, why do I always say that? Why don't you try it, Stacy? Okay, David. It's that time again. It's the Beverly Hills Breakdown. All right. Beverly Hills Breakdown. It's because your voice is lower and sounds better. I try to do some radio voice when I do it. It's the Beverly Hills Breakdown. Woohoo! Beverly Hills Breakdown. <laughs> Ross told some weird stories about people clapping for other people in a restaurant. And anybody would think that was like completely the weirdest thing in the world, I think. But not if you're from Los Angeles, because we, wherever we grew up in Los Angeles, there's celebrities and people all over the place. So sometimes you go into a restaurant. And it breaks out into applause. So weird. I wouldn't have believed it if it hadn't happened to me. And I talk about how it happened to me after a Laker game at the movie theater that Kareem was there. Then I remember it happened to me once again. And it was another Laker. It was Magic Johnson. He had a press conference and announced that he had AIDS. And then he came to Spago, where I was having dinner with my family for my grandmother's birthday. Magic walks in, and it happens again. Everybody gets up and applauds. I love it. Yay, Magic. We were very happy for Magic that day. So he was probably getting applause everywhere he went. Well, I'm glad that he's managed AIDS. We love Magic. He mentioned a few musicians that we went to school with, Lenny Kravitz and Slash. I never knew him in high school, but Lenny Kravitz we would both see around. Lenny Kravitz, of course. We love Lenny Kravitz. And I even remember him from Romeo Blue, his first band. Yeah, I think he also played with one of Barry Gordy's sons. Oh, probably. In a band in high school. Maybe he was in that band. And I remember them playing at like a school assembly once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was probably born cool because I think he was cool in high school. There was no you, way. He had an aura about him. <laughs> that dude was born cool. And then another guy he mentions that we were friends with in high school is Johnny Silverman. He's probably most famous for Brighton Beach memoirs, but maybe even more so for the Weekend at Bernie's movies. Oh, for sure. And Johnny actually was a really good personal friend of ours, David. And we love Johnny Silverman. And we would love to have him on the show. Come on, Johnny. Ross also mentions the Friars Club. And I think the Friars Club started in New York. And then they had one right near the high school. Yep. When you see some televised roasts from the olden days, yep. they were like live from the Friars Club because that was a place for comedians to mainly hang out. But it was not much of a club. You could basically eat there and they had a sauna. <laughs> you would think that's where the sauna was where Milton Berle 
exposed himself to uh, Ross Mark, but it wasn't. It was in the men's room. Yes, exactly, exactly. Ross was funny because he remembered the price and the address of everybody's house, even his phone number from when he was a kid. Totally. He knew all his phone numbers and the prices of the houses when they bought them. And the greatest thing is nowadays, Ross, the house is 10 times. So that house for literally for 200000 we think it's almost $5 million. Yeah. When we're astonished when people mention these prices, it's because the prices just skyrocketed. When people on our show are saying, you know, we bought this house for 100000 or $300,000, those houses could be anywhere from $4 million to $20 million today. Exactly. Pretty, pretty crazy, pretty pricey. Beverly Hills is, geez, over the top. Too bad we didn't all buy a lot of real estate and hold on to it. Oh, I wish I just had a little one-bedroom apartment in Beverly Hills. That would have made me so happy. Yeah. I think that's it for the breakdown. Well, another wonderful show, David. It was so much fun talking to Ross. He had me laughing and gosh, he knows so many people. It was just just really a joy. Had so much fun, David. Looking forward to it again. This episode was very personal for me since we go way back. So it was a lot of fun for me. Remember to like us on Instagram and Facebook and find us everywhere podcasts are. Oh, give us a five-star review right here on where you're listening. We need five-star reviews. We need friends. Keep sharing the love. Keep helping us grow. And thanks again for tuning in to Growing Up Beverly Hills. Take care, David. All right. Next time. Until next time. Bye. So suicide has personally affected my life. And we like to mention at the end of our show that there is help for everybody out there. You know, I think everybody's going through a tough time now. And we don't want anybody to take their lives. Especially during this COVID situation. uh, We've all been experiencing depression and hard times. Things can always get better. Everything bad now can get better. Everything can get better, and there is a lot of help out there. So please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. There is always help. It doesn't hurt to call, so do that. You don't have to do this alone. There's always help.